especially after COVID and realizing that they want to write something like this to the people they love and care about the most. And now, coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California, it's the world-famous Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening, and I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to the 84th episode of the Chris and Christine Show. Dun-dun-dun. Whoa, that just took a big nosedive. dive. <laughs> What happened, babe? What's going on? I am feeling feistier than feisty today because somebody dramatically woke me up from my nap. And who would that be? Crazy. You. No. It wasn't the dog. The dog was great. It was blasting videos from upstairs listening to... It was like, is there like Fast and the Furious happening in upstairs <laughs> in my house? All I heard was like... like wait, ha- wait how'd, that, how'd that go again? <laughs> That sounds like a that sounds like a spark car. <laughs> no, all I heard was like engines revving, and I was like, well, "What in the world?" And then I hear Mason, da 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 da, and I'm like, "Do they not realize we are inside of a home, and there are other people living inside of the home?" The dog and I were asleep, and we were like super calm and mellow. And then I was rudely awakened by none other than Chris himself. So what were you doing upstairs? Oh, you're welcome. You're all welcome. Well, Mason and I, he was talking about cars. He was looking at my cool little uh, Nissan Z car poster I have on the wall, which is framed, by the way. And he's looking at the Z31, which is the third, third, second. Oh, what? Z- okay, people can't see. Just describe it. Uh, anyways, the Z31 was the Z300ZX from the year 1984 to the year 1988. Oh, okay. Because 1989, 90s when they came out to the Z32. Okay, style. you're nerding out. So you were looking at the Z31. He said it looks like a Lamborghini. Oh, cool. And I said, yeah, I guess it kind of does. So we looked up on on the computer and we found pictures of the Lamborghini he was talking about that it looks like. So then we got sucked into the wormhole of that. I said, hey, you like Corvettes? He's like, yeah, I love Corvettes. Well, let's go check out the new C8 Corvette, which is the brand new mid-engine Corvette. So you took him on a virtual field trip? I sure did. Then we got sucked into a YouTube wormhole. And then, of course... Like you never do. (laughs) And I had to crank it up and show him uh, YouTube video reviews of the C8 Corvette. You had to crank it up? You had to? Well, it was already loud as it was. And I said, well, you know, just leave it there. We don't have to turn it down. And I would... And then I was texting you. You woke me up with your ridiculously annoying video. And you were like, hi, I love you. <laughs> well, that's my texting re- me back. That's my response to anything. Anytime your wife, girlfriend, lover texts you some something mean. Wait, you, you only always, have one of the above. So how about we just stick with wife? I'm, I'm just telling everybody, generally speaking, you know, that when you get those messages, you got to reply with just a, I love you. You're so sweet. <laughs> and that, what that or a does, heart or no, hard eyes. Wrong. Or, wrong. You got to say. Danger Will Robinson. I love you. No. You're so great. <laughs> that's saying. You say the sweetest things. <laughs> That's like giving somebody a shut up meal. It's like when your kids are hungry and you like go get them a side of fries and you're like, shut up now. That's like basically what doing that texting. Like, I love you. was like, here's your Scooby snack. Now shut your mouth. uh, To to each their own really is what it is. You know, I mean, tomato, tomato. Yeah. That's that's what I always say. Well, thank you for dramatically waking me up. Because of that, you get to benefit from the feistiness that is Christine today. Well, you're welcome. You're all welcome. Hey, uh, Christine. So how has your week been, Mr. Miss uh, Feisterson? Why'd you call me Mr. Feisterson? Mrs. Feisterson. (laughs) 
Well, I feel like I'm a little bit of a mombie this week. Oh, wait, what's a mombie? It's like zombie, but mombie? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what it is. I'm a mombie this week because I have been uh, crate training and potty training our new baby. Ooh, how is the little, little wolfers doing? Clover is so cute. Oh, Clover. my gosh. If you have followed us on social media, seen any of our posts on Instagram, Facebook, You'll Twitter. You'll die Twitter, because she's so cute. She is literally the cutest little thing. You see her like, that's got to be fake. You guys bought a teddy bear <laughs> from the teddy bear store. No, this is a living, breathing animal because we know Katrina... Christine. Can you not say your wife's name? <laughs> Christine. You're, you're trying to say Clover. Just call us Cloverine. Cloverine. It's kind of like Wolverine. The Cloverine group. <laughs> Christine has been picking up Clover's uh, potty accidents from time to time. So it's- They haven't been bad, but what I've been doing is crate training her at night. And so the first few nights, I'd already prepared myself that she would be crying because, you know, she was away from her mama. But you have to get her onto a pottying schedule so that she knows, go potty, get back in the kennel. Go potty, go back in the kennel. Like, we don't play around. We don't play with a ball. We don't snuggle. Because otherwise, that nighttime routine, it's just like with a baby. You try to get their diaper changed and get them back to bed with as little mess as foss- uh, little fuss as possible so that they go right back to sleep. No different than a puppy. So the first couple of nights, she woke up every two hours oh what yeah like a newborn baby yes every two hours and she needed to go potty and she was shaking and she was nervous and i had to have her sleeping in her crate right next to the bed um and you slept through it all the first night though i actually i think i said this last week i brought her downstairs and she slept in her crate part of the time but she's been getting better this week but she wakes up early and earlier, Wait, when you say early, how early are we talking about here? Uh, between five thirty and six thirty, just in the depending. morning. Yeah. So does she whine and be like scratching at the? Yeah, little she has do- to go to the bathroom. Oh and right. And so if I don't let her out, she'll have an accident. Oh so, yeah. So I have to get her up and get her going, and then she has what we call the zoomies, the crazies in the morning. The where zoomies, she, big where, Z. You know, yeah. We should put like a big Z cape on the back of her. She runs around <laughs> in the morning called the Z zoomies. Oh my gosh, she's so funny. Like she'll run around in circles, and she gets a little bit crazy and a little bit bitey right then. And so like the first hour is playtime, and then. I get her her breakfast and I come upstairs and shower and get started and work um, because I've got to get a good hour of play how, how do you take her upstairs to your office and work with her physically, I, like on a Zoom with people, with her barking and running around? Well, you're jumping ahead. So what I was going to say is when I get her hour of playtime in before I have to shower, then she can be downstairs and she's ready for like a nap for a couple of hours and like laying around. The problem is if is if she hasn't run around and gotten the zoomies completely out, then she'll start whining and barking. And on some of the nights and mornings, you were still sleeping and I didn't want her to wake you up. So then I end up bringing her upstairs to my upstairs office, which is also Zeke's bed, which is fine the first couple of days because she was still kind of timid and finding her way around. Oh, but little Clover is very curious now. Oh, what did she find? Well, she figured out that the comforter isn't a wall and that she can actually squeeze under the comforter and get underneath Ezekiel's bed and find all of the teenager toys and stuff. And also on that note, he probably left like wrappers from stuff. No, I cleaned the the room just a week ago. No candies or chocolates or anything like that. Nothing like that that I have to worry about. But there are things like pennies and pencils. Wait, she wouldn't eat pennies, would she? Oh, 
she is a puppy. She anything she can put her mouth on. So she, little pieces of plastic. And so like I was <laughs> I was on a coaching call with my boss yesterday and you weren't awake yet. And she was going wild downstairs because I think she just like was yapping, like, get me out, barking, let me out of here. And I was like, oh, Chris is going to wake up. And I had a meeting with my boss at nine. And I was like, OK, I didn't I hear any of that, by the oh, way. Oh, good to know. I'll leave her down. So yeah. I was like, I have to bring her with me, but we don't have an upstairs playpen for her to contain her. So I'm on the call with my boss and she was on my lap for a few minutes in mellow. And as soon as I get into my meeting, just like a kid. She like starts getting all energetic and crazy and like wanting to jump around and trying to, you know, snip at me, nip at me. Yeah, and puppies do this whole like biting thing where they kind of want to like play, play fight, bite, yeah. play fight, play bite. And we don't let her like the first day or two, Chris and Zeke made the mistake of letting her chew on their fingers. But then she started. I didn't, make, I didn't let her chew my fingers. Yes, you did. I didn't like say chew my fingers. No, I but didn't. you like put your hand in her mouth. I know. No, she went for my mouth to chew on. Okay, know. well, and you just left it there. Uh, well, okay. Okay, but the point is, we're Blame me for that. No, yeah. but we're just shifting her away from that, and so you know, she was like wanting to bite at me, and she likes to chew on my hair, <laughs> and so I was like trying to pull her down, and I said to my boss, "Hey, I'm sorry, my husband's not up yet. The puppy was going crazy, and he just needs to sleep for another hour because you know he works nights." And he's like, "Oh, okay." The problem came when Clover wanted down from my lap. And then she started getting lost under the bed and I was having to turn off my camera, but I didn't mute my microphone. And I was like, Clover. And he was like, huh, what's that? I was like, excuse me for just one moment. And he's like, it's okay. I could tell he was getting a little bit frustrated. It's never happened before. But I was like, okay, one of two things needs to happen. Either we get her a playpen right away so that I can keep her upstairs when she needs to be because it'll contain her. She won't bark. Or she's just going to have to bark, but she won't be like, no, she doesn't really bark with me very much. If I'm leaving the room, she barks. But if I'm right there with her and I can like throw things in the playpen, she's fine. Um, But or I leave her downstairs and risk waking you up. But uh, just trying to navigate that. I think it's just going to have to be she'll stay downstairs. Uh, It's just hard when I have lots of meetings in a day and she needs interaction. You know what you should do? You should go to Home Depot and get one of those like big boxes that the kids like to play with and build her a little box fort. She will bite through it. So something for her to do, I guess. No. It's only two bucks. No. A two dollar fix right there. No, we'll get her a little playpen for upstairs. It'll be just fine, but she... She's been great. I have loved having her. And then last night, she and I went on our first girls' date. What? Where did yeah. two of you guys go? Well, uh, you know, it's my first Friday night since I've been vaccinated and like fully vaccinated because I'm two weeks beyond two weeks past my second dose. And it's like I'm starting to emerge out of my COVID shell. I know. And Christine did not grow any extra fingers or anything. Check that oh, out. Oh, whatever. So, um, I was like last night kind of loafing around the house and it was nice weather. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? I could just sit around the house. And I was like, I could find a pet friendly restaurant where Clover can go with me. And then I remembered Lazy Dog Restaurant uh, is they they call it bonafide, like like a bone fide that they are. Lazy Dogs. You know, like when you first told me at that restaurant, I swear I thought it was only hot dogs. Okay, but that's not what it is. That was because you think of a hot dog, but it's a lazy dog like puppies they have paw prints everywhere and they even have a dog menu that you can order off of i didn't because clover doesn't eat uh human food but she and i went and uh (laughs) when it started get cold and i had my sweatshirt and she like climbed inside and she loves to snuggle there and she'd like 
go all the way down in the sweatshirt and then she'd just pop her head out and then people would be walking by and they're like, oh my gosh, she's the cutest dog I've ever seen in my life. I know. She's so adorable. She is so adorable. By, by the way, you, you can go to our social media and you can see her pictures and she can be like, she's so cute. Yeah, the K2 Show San Diego on Instagram is where we post a lot and then Chris posts some on the Chris and Christine Show Twitter, which is K2 Show San Diego also. But uh, I've been having fun with her. She is a good puppy. I am really pleased at how well she's doing with training. And really what it's helped me to do is I do have a little companion in the evenings now. And so I never was understood why people would talk to their dogs. And now I get it. It's like Are you talking to her? Of course I am. Are you guys having conversations? Yeah. Well, she doesn't talk back, but you know, we just talk about doggy things. I thought I thought doggy things. Like how'd you how'd you take a clover? Oh really? What'd you do? Oh, you sniff that. Oh, that was no. great. What oh, was that on. like? Don't be oh, a booger. That, okay. Wow, you took a nap? That's amazing. All right, booger, that was enough. That's, but what, that's why that's how I talk no, to her. No, no, I just love having her around and when she's mellow and just like lays on my lap, it's like Oh, she loves oh. her belly being scratched and Yeah, rubbed. she's oh. so cute. Oh. But enough about our sweet little clover. What's been happening with your week this week, Chris? Well, fantastic you asked this week. Uh speaking of uh, the great old podcastic audio, my second podcast podcast, which you can find at uh anchor.fm slash podcastic audio i dropped a bombshell on everybody last week what is that i released a surprise bonus episode with a special vip celebrity guest i didn't realize that was a bombshell but okay a celebrity guest came into the studio and played some guitar acoustically acoustic version yeah it debuted his new single called uh she's such a karen Uh, well, that yeah. would be uh, our, our my stepson and Christine's son, Ezekiel. He mm-hmm. wanted to be on the podcast so bad that just the two of us did a little fun little session, and I threw it up on the other podcast as a bonus episode. Mm-hmm. And it's a bonus episode. You can find it over there. And he just uh, he played the guitar, and he just wanted to chat about random stuff, and it was a fun episode. Did you listen to it, Christine? Yes, I did. And it was so funny when he picked up the guitar and started singing his song. He actually rhymed pretty well. And I was cracking up about it. And what's funny is that you recorded that episode before we went to Seattle when we had the incident in front of the ice cream shop that I shared about in last week's episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to last week's episode about um, an incident that we had outside of an ice cream shop. Let me rephrase that. An incident that we observed outside of an ice cream shop. And so hearing that song, it was was kind of funny to hear. but also in light of the events that have happened this week where there has been uh, another incident of police brutality and new video coming up with the Adam Toledo case in Chicagoland area, um, it really is not meant to make fun of what people go through with individuals that are operating in white privilege or white supremacy victimizing others. And so we did want to say that up front. It was a really fun Bonus episode that Chris issued, but in no way to make uh, light of anything that's been happening out in the media. Amen, sister. That was great. Yeah. But that's what we did. We had, uh, and also on my regular episode show, it was kind of great too because I had another podcast come on. Yeah. But for the first time ever in my history, in your history too, because you haven't pulled this off yet, is that we had three people on the podcast, myself included, but all three of us were in each of us were in a different country. Are you talking like Canada, US, Mexico? I'm talking, I was in here in America, down here in San Diego. One guest was in the UK, in England, and the second guest was in Canada. Wow. So 
That was pretty amazing. That in, and did you use clean feed for that? Of course, I use clean feed for that. Maybe how else do you do it? Well, you know? I listened to it and it was so clear. I mean, you could tell with one guest that maybe they weren't as sitting as close to their microphone, but it wasn't like a clean feed technology thing. And that's one of the things that I've noticed with clean feed is it really depends on the setup uh, that everybody has. And so I really appreciate how much time you spend talking about that setup and uh, really being able to emphasize the importance of having that clean audio on every end so that when you bring all three tracks together like you did for this specific interview, that it sounds really good. I mean, nobody would have known that you were using like a single platform to simultaneously record people from multiple countries for one podcast podcast episode i thought that was pretty amazing well the episode is episode 14 it is with spy hards they do a spy podcast the two of them now they do their own podcast together they use zencaster which is another product that does kind of the same thing where right. where it connects people together for audio purposes and their podcast is all about spy movies not so, not specifically about james bond movies mm-hmm. but also all genres of spy stuff like mission impossible what about spy kids i'm sure that <laughs> you know, I, I didn't ask him that i didn't ask him if uh, spy kids was a movie they'd be interested in, in uh, reviewing or they just did that movie tenant remember the movie tenant that we saw um, the one that went backwards and forward from each other the one we just we just i bought it a little oh while. yeah yeah that one was like trippy right they covered that movie and they could still couldn't figure it out and i listened to their episode talking about it and i still couldn't figure out what they were talking about <laughs> they don't even know i know we walked out we like not walked out because we were watching it here at home but we were like what just happened? <laughs> what was that movie? I think what they figured out was if you look at the word tenant, it's spelled the same way forward, forward and backwards. Forward and backwards, mm-hmm. which I think that the movie is also playing forward and backward at the same time. Right. So what a trip. But you don't know. I wonder if you were to watch the movie from the backwards to the beginning, if it would make sense. You know, like when people used to listen to um, like the old Beatles records or whatever, and then they would play them backwards on the record players yeah, and they would the, actually hear something different. But I wonder audio, if it's that way. But the audio would screw you up because the, the vocals would be said backwards. You wouldn't really I don't know if you – maybe it wouldn't. Maybe everything is said in a way that would be understood hey, backwards. Hey, hey, high-tech movie nerd, nerds <laughs> out there, find Tenet and figure out a way to play it in reverse. Yeah. And, and see if it makes sense. It's called like backward masking or something like that. There maybe, you go. Maybe, maybe there's some subliminal messages if we listen to it backwards. Maybe that's why we're all tripped up. Okay. Yeah, well, I had no <laughs> idea what the movie was about when I went into it. I knew it was some kind of spy movie. I thought it was like some kind of like uh, superpower thing where the guy could like float through time or something uh-huh. or whatever. I had no idea that it was kind of this whole weird I can't even explain it, but they said that that they think the movie was made so you can watch it again to understand it. And I said, I don't think movies are designed to be that way. I think when you put a movie out or a book or a song, you hear it one time, you either like it to watch it again or you don't like it. You don't watch it again. No, no, I completely one billion percent disagree. I watch movies multiple times to find the deeper meaning because I feel like really sophisticated movies they are layered. And so like the first time you watch it, you're going to get the surface layer of content. The second time you watch it, you start to make deeper connections. And by the third time, you're really seeing things more clear because you're seeing all the details. I like to watch things two or three times. Well, so do I because I like the movie. Not because I'm like, what was that about? I got to watch it again. I, I think that... You should. It, it's basically. But good. you watch Ford versus Ferrari, and you find different things that you didn't I, realize. I the love first that time. movie, by the way. But the thing is, I think what it is is that good storytelling, really good storytelling, can be done one time, very simply. 
Yeah, that's true. And, you know, this week's guest has a unique story that she's going to tell us. And so we would invite you to stick around because we think that you're going to get a lot out of what she has to say. She's going to be gone coming up right after this. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. You know the one thing that will really crush a first date? And that's probably bad skin. But don't you worry. Today's episode here is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, the skin store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products with over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands. The skin store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Well, check that out. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase. What? 20% off? I can use 20% off? By using the code POD, that's code PODPOD for 20% off your next purchase at theskinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Some exclusions may apply. And welcome back, everybody. Today's VIP guest is an author and blogger with a unique story about how finding a drawer full of letters changed her life. Welcome to the show, Dara Kurtz. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and spend this time with you. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Dara. Thank you for being here. Of course. Welcome to the podcast, Dara. How's your day going? It is so good. How about you? Oh, it's fantastic over here in California, but where in the world are you joining us from today? I am in North Carolina and the sun is out, although it's a little bit chillier today. But you know, if the sun's out, it's all good. I think I hear a little bit of that accent in there. (laughs) I know. It is what it is. I don't hear it anymore, but um, I'm told that a lot. Yes. So it's interesting. I was uh, in my one of my last doctoral classes last night. We had a guest speaker from North Carolina. He had a pretty heavy drawl. Or mm. Is that how you say a drawl or an accent? Uh, yes. Have you lived in North Carolina your whole life? No, I'm actually from Richmond, Virginia, and that's where I was born and raised. And I went to the University of Alabama. So, you know, all of those accents probably just sort of melded together to have what you what you what you hear what you get now I, I've been to Carolina North Carolina a few times what part of the state I live in Winston Salem which is in between Ooh. Raleigh and Charlotte oh yeah I have I had the cousins that lived in Charlotte and I was okay. in a wedding in Asheville and oh, I've I been to that castle out there what's it called <laughs> the, the Biltmore Biltmore yes <laughs> yeah I've, I've been out there to that so yeah you have that's fancy I didn't know that yeah well come on you knew that no I didn't. I got pictures. It's of so me fun there. there. It's like you can pretend like you're walking into like the set of Downton Abbey. <gasps> I need to go. Why yeah. have I missed this my entire life? I don't know. Chris, why haven't you taken me? I don't know. Well, Dara, that means we're going to come for a visit. <laughs> Perfect. Anytime. <laughs> awesome. Well, so you've kind of lived in the Virginia, Alabama, North Carolina area. Would you characterize yourself as a Southern girl or a Northern girl? Yeah, definitely Southern. But I love like... 
I mean, I have, I love the whole like diversity. I mean, in terms of like the fact that the world is so small now just because of online connections and social Mm -hmm. media. So I feel like even though I live in North Carolina, even some of my closest friends live all over the country. Some of them I have never even met in person just because of the fact that I just feel like geographically there are no limits anymore. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, the South does have a unique culture to it and uh, a kind of a different vibe to the lifestyle. What is it that you love most about being a Southern girl? I would just say I like being the kind of the laid back feel. Um, I mean, I can be sort of intense sometimes and (laughs) maybe, maybe just like the, the laid backness of it is probably good for me to kind of help me chill a little bit. It's, I mean, it's, it can still be very fast paced depending upon like what industry you're in or what your job is. But overall, I would say it's probably a lot more chill vibes than like being in New York, but I still love visiting New York and can't wait till I can go again. So the New York minute, and then you got the uh, southern southern part of the country where it's pretty laid back and a little slower pace, a little slower lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Now, Chris, would you say that San Diego has a little bit of that slower lifestyle than the rest of California? Maybe because mm. we're in Southern California, maybe we have a yeah. z- Southern vibe? A little bit, but there it is a big city, and there is a lot of big business, and it mm-hmm. is a lot of fast-moving parts to the city. I mean, you know, you're speaking to one right now. But uh, you're a fast moving part of the city. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, Dara, we're really excited to talk to you today and learn a bit about your story. And we came across you through one of these fabulous Facebook groups that I'm a part of. And your story really captured my attention where you were talking about some life-changing moments for you stumbling across a drawer full of letters and just seemed very intriguing to me. So can you tell us a bit about your story? Sure. Um, so let me let me back up to the very beginning. Um, sure. Once upon a time. <laughs> once upon a time, there was a little girl. Um, so when I, a few weeks after I had my first daughter, my mom passed away. And oh, no. yeah, it was um, heart-wrenching and really devastating. The, the, really the same weekend I found out I was pregnant, I found out my mom had stage four cancer. And like the bigger my tummy got, the sicker she got. And then that just, yeah, it was literally like parallel. And then a few weeks, like I said, after I had Zoe, my first daughter, I have two daughters, my mom passed away. And just learning to live in the world without my mom has been one of the greatest challenges of my life. And, um, I, for a long time, I sort of tried to distract myself. And, you know, when you have a new baby, there's just, there's a lot to distract yourself with. And at the time I was a financial advisor and I was on maternity leave and then I went back to work and I just sort of dove into work and, um, raising my family and eventually had another daughter and life was just sort of busy and hectic. But, um, I always say like grief kind of followed me around like my shadow because it was always there and I dealt with it a little bit, but I never really fully kind of found my peace, if you will, with my mom's death. Do you think that because of having the birth and the death so close together that you kind of, kept yourself from going through that full grieving process? Absolutely. I mean, I was exhausted. Um, You know, it was just too, it was like really sort of polarity, if you will, like the joy of becoming a mom and then just the devastation of having lost my mom and then just not having my mom there to share 
all of those moments with her. I mean, she had always said when I was growing up, she would say things like, I can't wait to be a grandmother one day. And, Mm. you know, we're going to do blah, blah, blah. And so it was just like that pain was always there. And so I definitely feel like I distracted myself because let's face it. I mean, grief work is hard work and it's not fun and it's, it's emotionally exhausting. And, and so I just sort of focused on my daughter and really felt like she deserved to have a happy mom and did everything I possibly could do to sort of be that happy mom. And then life just kind of got busy and hectic and you get used to sort of living a certain way. And so life kind of went on. And then when I was 42 and my kids were 11 and 14, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, like literally out of the blue. I mean, one day I was fine. And then the next day I wasn't. And that whole experience brought back a lot of what I had seen with my mom and kind of triggered a lot of things. But you know, fortunately I found it relatively early and I had so many good things going for me and I was aggressive and treated it really aggressively. And, um, it's been seven years and I'm so blessed to be on this side of it. But, um, so then life just kind of went on. But after that experience, I was totally changed. Like I quit my job as a financial advisor, started my blog, crazy, perfect life, started writing, just, it really, really transformed my life. And then, On the 20th anniversary of my mom's death, so about a year and a half ago, I randomly, um, well, when my kids were little, I kept mother-daughter journals with them. And I would write to one of my daughters, and I would put it on a journal, and I would put it on her pillow. And then she would write back to me, and she would put that journal on my pillow. And it was just like a really beautiful way for us to sort of communicate, for me to boost their self-esteem. And so... When my oldest daughter was about to go back to college, we found the mother-daughter journal and we were reading it and it was just amazing. And later on that night, I thought, gosh, I wish I had something like this for my mom. And that's when I remembered that I had a bag of letters that had made it to my adult house. And it was just, they, they were sitting in the back of a drawer in my den. And I had never... I opened that bag of letters ever because I just, A, had forgotten about it, and B, when I remembered, I was so worried that it would kind of trigger feelings of all of the grief that I had like kind of worked so hard to sort of sweep under the rug. And so remembering that I had that bag of letters and finally one day having the courage to open it completely changed my life. Now, were these letters that had never been opened before or were they things that like you received over the years and, and you'd read them once before? So that's a really good question. They were letters that I received from the first time I went to sleepaway camp when I was nine years old until I graduated from college. And there were over a hundred of the letters, mostly written by my mom and my two grandmothers. And all three of them had sadly passed away. And miraculously, what happened was like I would go to camp and I would come back and I would put the letters that I received that summer in this bag that was in my closet. And so it was just kind of like a pattern happened completely unintentionally. Or I would go to college and come back in the summer and put all the letters that I received in the mail through that year, just adding it to the bag completely unintentionally. And then when my dad got remarried and moved into a new house, that bag of letters got came to my, my house. I've lived in this house for over 23 years. And so... Um, it was just really luck that I 
had consolidated the letters and that they ended up in my house and didn't get thrown away. And when I opened the bag and started reading, I was just completely blown away by, well, first of all, I had what Oprah calls the ugly cry. And I sat on the couch. Okay. Wait, wait. What does that mean? For those who may not know, like myself. Okay. Okay. It's, um, it's when you literally just sit on the couch and you sob uncontrollably, like your mascara, your makeup, you just don't even care because you're so, you're just like so in, in your feels and you're just like, I was sobbing and, um, you know, just having like a really good cry, the ugly cry. (laughs) Okay. All right. Did you Um, feel like that ugly cry was like bottled up grief and then some of the trauma of your own cancer journey like all it's like basically chris when you take the lid off of it and you just let it all flow out okay yeah it's like a total release like it was just like a total emotional release like i was sitting on the couch reading these letters just sobbing and because i felt like when i was reading the letters i could hear my mom's voice like i could feel her personality and i was blown away by just how much wisdom and relevancy and and recognizing that they were so timeless, like the wisdom and the advice and the letters was relevant to me right then in that moment that I was reading the letters. And um, it was almost like getting like a hug from my mom. And it was amazing. You know, it's, it kind of reminds me of those movies you see when you, it's almost like, like it's written out of a movie scene where the uh, person's like mentor would leave them a note or a audio or a video thing of some sort, and they stumble upon it and they say, "Well, if you're reading this, um, you mm-hmm. know I've passed away or whatever." It was kind of like that. Yeah, but I feel like it was even deeper than that, and I and I'll get to that in a, in a second why I feel that way. But um, I mean, because these letters went on for such a large, large like time frame, like from when I was nine until when I graduated from college. And so the cool thing about it was I really felt like I got to know my mom better by reading the letters because she was raising her kids when she, she was raising me and my brother when she was writing a lot of the letters. And so, um, from my adult perspective, like I was just kind of getting a glimpse into who she was when she was raising her kids, which had completely been lost on me the first time I read the letters because I was a lot in a lot of cases, I was just a child. Right. So it's more relatable now because exactly. Okay. I I got you. So you're kind of in the same spot when she wrote them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the reason I said that a second ago, um, So after going through that, I realized that there are really like three different kinds of letters. There's the just because letter, there's the special occasion letter, and then there's the legacy letter. And I feel like what you were talking about a second ago is sort of what I call the legacy letter, which is a letter that's written to be read when the person passes away. And it's like the final the final thing that that person is saying to the recipient. And my mom did write a legacy letter to me, one to my brother and one to my dad. And she gave those letters to my, she gave them to my dad. And then the morning of her funeral, my dad brought them into our room and he, into my room, into my brother's room. And he gave us the letters. Um, and so that was sort of like the legacy part of it, if you will. But um it was just a life-changing experience for me because it was almost like my mom was whispering, like, it's time to let go of the grief and sadness that you've been holding on. It's it's time to get back to the business of living. 
That's got to be a very hard letter to write as a person to, you know, to your family, I would think. The legacy letters? Yeah. Yeah. So the legacy letter that my mom wrote me, she wrote when she was really sick. And I include this letter in in my book. I have a little bit of some snippets here and there of some letters, but I did include that. And the legacy letter that she wrote me was very, very short. She was really sick when she wrote it. Um, That actually taught me that you want to write a legacy letter when you're not sick, when you don't plan on anything happening, because then you can sort of be intentional about what you want to tell the recipient. But it's absolutely such a it's such a selfless gift to give to the recipient. And I do agree with you. It is probably a hard, it is a hard letter to write. Um, I've written one of those to my kids. I include it in the book. And I lead workshops on how to write a legacy letter because I feel like more and more people, especially after COVID, are realizing that they want to write something like this to the people they love and care about the most. Yeah, totally. Now, I'm not in the same position as your mom, but I remember when my son Ezekiel was born, I bought this journal and I started writing, like documenting his journey from birth. And when he was three weeks old, he got very sick and we didn't know if he was going to make it. And so documented like that whole journey and the feelings and my feelings for him as a child and like what he meant to me from a motherly perspective. And I remember it's like, it's almost different when it's your child that's sick versus you, but it's still really important. And I go back and I read that occasionally and I've read him that story in those letters before, and they've been very meaningful to him. He's 16 now, but you know, even knowing that journey and, and how much I love and care for him, it's, it really is a tremendous gift to be able to give to your children. Do you feel that way about your mom's get letters to you? Yeah, I feel like I'm so lucky that I saved the letters and that I have them. And it's such a nice, it's kind of like a connection between my mom and my daughters because they can sort of get a glimpse into her personality a little bit more just because of the letters. And that's really beautiful. Yeah, that sounds really special. Dar, what what was the uh, best piece of advice that was given to you by your mother in one of those letters? Mm, that's such a good question. I, I I feel like there was so there was so much advice, so much wisdom, but over and over again, I just feel like she reminded me of the importance of maintaining a positive attitude and remembering that it's a choice that we all get to make every day of our lives, and that no matter what we're facing, we still get to choose like how we're going to travel through whatever life tosses our way. And that was a really important reminder to me when I read those letters, because especially like having been stuck in grief, my mom valued life so much. And she really cherished like every single day of her life throughout, throughout her whole life. And so just kind of being able to see that so much was kind of like the reminder to me that being sad or stuck in grief, I wasn't making the most of every day of my life. And I, I, I realized because I could see it in, on paper, like how much my mom would never have wanted her death to get in the way of me living my life. So building off of that, you mentioned a little bit ago that your father has since remarried. Was there anything in the letters not necessarily speaking to that situation, but anything in the letters that helped you navigate that concept of your father being able to move forward in his life? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, there was nothing in the letters that alluded to that. However, when my mom was really sick, she I remember she told me, and I, I wrote about this in the book, but I remember she told me, like, um, I want your dad to get remarried one day. I want him to be happy. I don't want him to go through the rest of his life by himself. And so I remembered that conversation and I, you know, I shared that with my dad and, and I knew that, um, I mean, when you really care about people and you love them, no matter what you want them to be happy. And of course I wish my mom could be here and I miss her every single day, but my stepmother's really good to all of us and we love her so much. And, um, it's just, you know, I'm so glad that my dad isn't traveling through his life by himself. Right. Yeah. It just seems like it's such a relevant topic right now with so many individuals experiencing grief and trauma coming out of the COVID era with, you know, lots of different deaths, but also the collective trauma we've all experienced with, you know, isolation and um, life being different. What advice did you find in the letters that might apply to our current reality as a country? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've all been through so much and that's such a reminder to all of us that life really is, it's unexpected. I mean, we can try to plan, right? And we can try to have um, goals and look to the future with, of course, hope and the things that we want to have happen. But this past year was such a reminder that it's going to happen. And we can only control so much, but we can absolutely control the way we react to whatever it is we're going through, whether or not that's the stress of turning on the news and seeing all of the scary things that happened or having someone that we love and care about get sick or watching someone that we love pass away or, you know, just whatever it is. Um, the reminder that we still have the ability to ground ourselves and figure out what that means, like what tools we need in our toolbox to sort of stay grounded and to help ourselves sort of navigate through that. And and there were a lot of little things in the letters that reminded me of that. My mom was a big fan of exercise and um, practicing yoga and walking and, and just sort of maintaining some of those self-care practices, if you will, before self-care was even a thing. And so that was, that was kind of fun to read as well. Do you practice those things? Are you big into yoga? Do you exercise? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, after I went through breast cancer seven years ago, I really like started doing a lot of work on myself, um, and realized that, like I had to sort of make peace with what happened to me and leaning into self-care and trying to figure out how I could stay grounded was really important to me. And that's when I started practicing kundalini yoga. And so I'm such a big believer in that. I walk almost every single day or lift weights. Exercise every day for me is pretty much like not just for my physical health, but for my mental health, so important. And then meditation, journaling, um, I take hot baths or showers. Um, eating really, really cleanly is so important to me. Just, you know, all of those kinds of things. But are you, stress, a, ve- are you a vegan? No, I'm not. Um, okay. I've, I've dabbled in that a few times. Um, every time that I try to be a vegan, truthfully, like, I don't feel like it's in my body's best interest. Because, <laughs> you know, Who like, is it really, you know? 
Well, hey, don't I mean, judge, like, Chris, there's people, but I, really I get you. Like, I really wanted to, like, I really wanted to be a vegan. Um, but then I, you know, after trying it a few times, I was just like, you know what, this is just not what my body wants. And so I do eat chicken and fish, um, and eggs, but I try to eat like the cleanest organic wild blah, blah, blah of any kind of product that I'm eating. So I feel like I'm getting whatever I'm eating from really clean sources, if you will. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, you know, with this this desire to grow your life in the healthiest way possible, it leads me to wonder how this loss of your mother influenced the way that you've developed your relationship with your own daughters. You mentioned you have two of them. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so my daughters are, uh, they're 18 and 21 now. And we have... Um, I have such a beautiful relationship with both of them. And my relationship with my daughters has always been incredibly important to me and something that I've worked on and put a lot of time and energy into throughout their whole lives. And I do believe there are different seasons of the mother-daughter relationship, the mother-son relationship, um, just because I realized when my kids were really young that they didn't need me to be their best friend. They didn't need me to be there agreeing with everything or letting them do whatever they wanted to do. I mean, they needed me to parent them. They only had one mom. And so I wasn't always like, you know, the favorite parent or didn't always do the things that they wanted. They, I didn't always let them do what they wanted to do. And, you know, of course, all those things. But now that they're getting older, we're sort of in a different season. My daughter, who's in college, she's not she's usually not living with me. She's, she was home obviously during COVID for a good portion. She's back at school now, but, um, I'm not nagging her. I'm not telling her what to do. I'm not telling her to take her clothes upstairs or do her laundry or, you know, all of those things. And so it does sort of open up a space where we can be more, we can be more sort of mother, daughter, best friends. And that's amazing. And with my other daughter, who's a senior in high school, we're super close I still, because she's living with me, I mean, I'm still telling her things that she can't do that she doesn't always want to hear. But I know I know when she goes to college, I'm sure that we'll even get closer than we are now. And I mean, that's amazing to me and so beautiful and definitely a priority in my life and always has been and always will be. Okay. So you mentioned a concept that's really interesting to me. So I, well, I was raised with, I have three sisters. So I'm one of four girls, but Chris and I are raising boys and they are like a different creature altogether. (laughs) Right. But you bring up a really valid point about that shifting out of the parenting and starting to develop that friendship. And, uh, our oldest, my oldest is 16 and I am finding that friction of the, you know, starting to be, he's starting to be more independent and starting to think I'm being hyperly overprotective mm-hmm. and shifting out of that. Not, and not That's that he does hel- Like a helicopter mom. Right. Kind of thing? Right. You know, <laughs> I, you could I'm call laughing. me that. I'm laughing because like my daughter, who's a senior in high school, there were so many times that she would literally text me pictures of helicopters. <laughs> like that would be her way of telling me that I was totally like helicoptering her. But who cares? But what I helped mean, you shift though? Because yeah. I know that you're starting to make that it's shift. It's probably harder with girls too, I would think. Well, I don't know though, because I'm I'm feeling the need to... I don't want to say cut the apron strings, but give more trust and grace and try to develop more of a friendship with my son because right now he sees me more as an adversary than as a friend. So how do you go about that with kids? 
Okay, so first of all, he's only 16. And so he still does really need you to parent him. And I would say when my kids were 16, I mean, you have to kind of give them like a little bit of space and then let them, you know, see what they do with it. And then if they make a mistake, which of course they're going to make mistakes and you want them to make mistakes while they're living with you so that you can sort of help them or talk through it or, I mean, that's how they grow. But um, I would say the goal is not to be in the friend zone right now because he's 16. He definitely needs you to be his parent. You're going to tell him things that he doesn't want to hear. Your job is to question him and make sure he stays safe. Make sure he stays alive, you know? Yes, Um, preach it. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's your job. Keep keep him out of jail too. Yeah, exactly. Keep him out of jail. Keep him alive. Um, But, you know, so... Now that my old, my youngest daughter is, you know, second semester, senior year, I mean, the reality of it is she's going to college in a few months. And so, I mean, we've definitely backed off a lot because, quite honestly, like, I want to see what she's doing with the freedom that we give her. And I want to, like, be able to talk through some of the mistakes that she might make now while she's still living with us. Because, I mean, the reality of it is we just have a few more months to parent her while she's under our roof. And then she's... She's out there in the world, you know? Um, and so I, I feel like the goal, I feel like the friend zone doesn't really start until they get into college. That's kind of what I think. That's how it's worked for me, for my kids. And I feel like it's worked kind of well for, for, for my family to be in that situation. So your youngest daughter, what is your plans after this year in high school? Well, she's going to college. She'll His start. Year, already yeah. got a school picked out? Yeah. Yeah. She's starting in August. Yeah. And she's going to the same school my oldest daughter goes to. How, so that's it, really fun. Is it close by to where you live? It's an hour away. Yes. Oh, little birdies are flying <laughs> out of the nest. <laughs> I mean, giving me anxiety right now because it, my son is um, about to finish his sophomore year and I'm well, just gotta, like, we got some time. Hey, you it's have not time. enough. It's not enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do like, I mean, the reality of it is like time is fleeting, right? And there's a limited amount of time that we all, we know when we have our kids that they're going to live with us for like, what, 12, 13, 14 years, depending upon when they start, whatever. 40, 50, you know. know, It is a reality these days. I've seen people live until their 30s. See that movie, uh, Failure to Launch? Yeah, Failure to Launch, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. Yes, you would. (laughs) No, but you say that, but you actually would. And I'll tell you why. Because it wouldn't be in his best interest. And you want him, you want him to make the most of every day of his life. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I promise you, like I'm closer to my oldest daughter now because she doesn't live here. And we talk every day and we're super close. And I really feel like I'll be that way with my youngest daughter as well. And, um, you know, they've grown a lot also. And so that's a really beautiful thing to see. And, um, you know, it's just different seasons. Am I terrified about being an empty nester. I mean, I keep kind of telling myself that I'm not terrified, (laughs) Um, you know, and I keep trying to convince myself that, I mean, it's a different, it's a new season for, for me and for my husband and I'm going to try to embrace it. But gratitude is like the space that I always try to go to. And for me, like I've learned with all the stuff that I've been through, like gratitude is the way to get through really hard things, gratitude. And so, well, not just hard things, but all things, but just being grateful for what you have and not what you've lost or what you don't have really helps. And that, so, that's hard though. It's hard to see things that way. 
Yeah, it is hard um, because life is hard, but it's also sort of training your mind to look at the good and find the good even in challenging moments. But I, sw- I promise that the ability to take a step backwards regardless of what you're facing and try to find good things even in challenging moments is really the key to to getting through all the challenges that we're all going to go through one day because that's part of life. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've really learned some valuable lessons from these letters from your mother as well as parenting your own daughters. Have you ever thought of like capturing all of these ideas and and putting them in a book or something? Well, yes. And it's called, it's called, I am my mother's daughter. Um, so I, I did, I had a book come out about oh, that. Wow. Did you, yeah. Did, did you know that? Did you not know that? Um, so after I did the whole, after I had that experience with the letters and I just felt like there was a book there. And so, um, I put all the hundred letters like on a table in my oh, office wow. and started sorting them. And I just was like obsessed with them. And Anyway, I just felt like there was a book there. So I just sat down, started writing, crying while I was writing. And it came out in September and it's called I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss and Love. And um, after I did that, I ended up getting four offers, four different publishers. I went with a smaller publisher who's been like an incredible gift. It's been such a beautiful, joyful experience. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so amazing. Like I'm so proud of it. It's, It's just been yeah. I'm, where, where I mean, I'm people, so grateful. Where can people find your book? So they can get it. Um, they can go to my website, crazyperfectlife.com. And it, of course, it links to all the places they can get it. Or I mean, the easiest place is if they get it on Amazon. Um, right. But they can, you know, I Am My Mother's Daughter by Dara Kurtz. Or like I said, just go to my website. I also have five free gifts that I give anyone who purchases the book. And they can get really? those. Really? Yeah, they can download those gifts um, from my website as well. So lots now, is of it fun only, stuff. Is it only if you buy the book through your website or can you buy anywhere and get those gifts? Yeah, no, you buy the you can buy the book anywhere and then you can like take the code. Like if you buy it on Amazon, they give you a gift. Uh, they give you a code and then you can just kind of oh. put that code in or if you wherever you buy it, they, they'll give you a code. Wherever you get it online, you can just oh. kind of put that in. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah. with the book writing process, you mentioned like crying over and sorting the letters. What did you learn most as you were approaching the book writing separate from your initial learning of just reading the letters? So this is my second book. My first book I wrote was called Crush Cancer. And that was really the book that I needed when I went through breast cancer that I just didn't feel was out there. So um, I, and I had, had always wanted to write books. And so after I quit my job, after I went through breast cancer, after that whole thing, that's when I started my blog and started writing. And that's when um, I started getting a lot of followers on social media and then wrote that book. But this book wasn't a book I ever planned on writing. And I was working on another project at the time. And then I just kind of felt like I needed to completely stop what I was doing, completely like switch. And I just started writing this book. And for me, what I learned is that so when you write a nonfiction book, you have to write a book proposal. That's how a literary agent pitches the book out. Oh, wait. Say it again. What does that mean? Okay, so um, when you when you write a nonfiction book, so that's the difference between nonfiction and fiction. You know, you know what I'm talking about there, well, right? Right, real stories versus 
Make believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so nonfiction, Chris, is the real stories. God, I understand that. Okay. Just, okay. I, okay. So when you write a nonfiction book, um, so I had a literary agent and a literary agent is an agent who represents you with the purpose of selling your book to publishers. And it's actually really hard to find a literary agent. You have to kind of pitch out and they select you and blah, blah, blah. So um, with my first book, I had a literary agent and we had to get the proposal, which is just the document. It's a form. It's like the format that they, the lit, that the literary agent uses to sell to publishers. But it takes a long time to kind of write the proposal. It's, it's it can be like a thirty-page document where you talk about the book, you do chapter summaries, you research all the books that are out there, and kind of like why your book is different from those books, but also kind of why your book is similar. Just you know, all of these things, basically the saleability of the book. And you wouldn't Um, do this for a fiction book. So a fiction book you would, but it would just be, it would look differently than the nonfiction book. So here's the big difference. Well, here's the big difference for a nonfiction book. You don't really have to have the book written. You have to have the proposal done. And so for my first book, crush cancer, like I never wrote the book. I just did the proposal. And then after that whole process, then I wrote the book. But with this book, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to write the book. And it worked so much better for me just to kind of sit here and just, I just wrote the book. I wrote from my heart. I didn't hold back. I wasn't trying to like think about chapter summaries or, you know, any of that mess. I literally was just like writing from my heart what made sense. And it was a much more joyful experience and it was very, it was so much more organic and authentic. And so that's what I learned for me, like all the other books that I do in the future, I will, I will just, I will always write the book first because the result is I, for me, I just feel like it's more authentic. Did you have problems working with the editor? Did they really nitpick a lot of stuff? You're like, oh, man, I want to leave that in or stuff like that. No, I mean, it was such a joyful experience. I love my publisher and the editor at the end of the day. Like I knew that we all just wanted the book to be the best it could be. And so right. I really, you know, I had full trust in what the, what the editor said. And okay. If, okay. If, I mean, if whatever she said, I always agreed with, even I'm though, pretty, even, yeah, even though I'm, you're like, I like that part. Why are we going to cut <laughs> yeah, it out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty easy to get along with. Um, I just, I don't know. I just don't really want any drama or I don't know. Like, I just felt like we all wanted what was best for the book. And so I felt, I, I don't have any regrets about that. Well, Chris is asking you from a little bit of a selfish perspective because you just saw me walk through uh, the dissertation Ooh. process and I just got it published this morning officially. Oh, exciting. Online. Congrats. Thank you. But I would come back to him with my editor made like 2,000 edits to this set and uh, my dissertation committee came back with more recommendations and it was like this never-ending cycle of edits and revisions. But a frustration for Christine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't say that there weren't like a lot of cycles or we didn't go back and forth or, you know, all of that and because we did. And I mean, at the very end of it, I just remember feeling like, okay, I'm done editing this book. You know, like I'm done <laughs> focusing on more revisions, more revisions, more revisions. So I think you do get to that point. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm so proud of this book and 
it's just, it was just such a gift and so joyful that I got to do it. That is fantastic. And going Thank back you. to the editing part, I was just wondering <laughs> the thought I had of it. I popped in my head just now. I would think that if you have very thin skin, you probably couldn't handle the whole editing process. If you have thin skin, the whole publishing process, <laughs> not just right. the editing, but like the whole publishing process, honestly, like it's just really hard and um, it can be exhausting and you know, you have to be comfortable hearing no and being rejected. And that isn't always easy, but, right. um, you know, it's just for me, like I knew I really, and I still like, I have lots of books in, in me that I want to write. And I know that that's just part of it, but you can't give up. Like you literally cannot give up. Um, and you just have to kind of keep your eye on the prize, mm -hmm. which is, holding your book in your hand, which is like the most amazing feeling. So I was going to ask you a question related to that. So when you say you have more books in you, it sounds to me like your goal with writing books isn't as much to get top sales as it is to make an impact. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I feel like if I was doing this for money, I probably wouldn't have quit my financial advisor job <laughs> because, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm, if I was doing it for money, I would have stayed the course with that. Um, but for me, like I just wanted to use my experiences to help other people. And so, um, I mean, I think of course you write books and you want your books to sell really well and you want people to love your books. And I definitely feel that way. I mean, I, I'm not interested in writing books that no one's going to read. Like I want to write books that, that will get read, that people you know, that, that well, I feel course, like, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. So I feel like for anyone listening who wants to write a book and who feels like they have a story, but they are worried, you know, just write the book, right? Like just literally sit down and write the book and then don't give up when people tell you that they don't like your book. Keep, keep on pushing forward. And there's a lot of different ways to get things published nowadays. Um, their life, it's just not linear. And, um, I mean, I feel like I do want to write more books. I actually want to write some fiction books and, um, I'm excited about that, but the key is to just stay focused on what your goals are and not compare yourself to other people or, or your journey. I love that so much. And I think you're like preaching to me right now with just finishing my doctorate. I've told Chris, I want to write a book. And like I sat down one day and I was like, I'm just going to start writing. And right? you started with chapter one, right? I have two chapters written. <laughs> two chapters? Look two here. chapters. Wow. And then I was like, I think I'm going to just like pause for a while. And then I was like, well, are people actually going to read it? Am I being too vulnerable? Are they going to see that the main character is actually me? And, you know, how's that going to line up? Spoiler alert. I know. Like, how's that going to line up with like my line of business. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'll write a nonfiction book. But then the same thing comes up like, well, if I'm so vulnerable and like speaking my truth from my personal experiences, is it going to end up burning me in the long run? Like, are people going to look at me different? Do you wrestle with any of that when you're writing? So I kind of got used to sort of being completely 
fully disclosed, if you will, like after I, when I first started my blog, Crazy Perfect Life, and I started writing and I just was completely honest because I, after going through breast cancer, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to write, I'm going to find my voice and I'm going to be completely open and honest and transparent because, you know, I feel like if someone's taking the time to read something, like they, they, they deserve the truth. And so I didn't hold back at all. And there were definitely times where I would write about my kids or my family. And like we ended up having to have like a family meeting because I crossed a line or people in my family were really unhappy about like what I said. And I mean, there was definitely like a learning curve that with that. But um, I'm, I feel like I'm used to being vulnerable and exposed in my writing. But also like I feel like that's what makes it even better because – People can feel that. And i that's one thing that we keep hearing over and over again with I Am My Mother's Daughter is just that people can feel like they can feel my heart, if you will, like what it felt like to have that loss and, you know, how I felt and how I got through it and, and all of those things. And if I had sort of tried to hold back, I don't think the book would be as successful because it wouldn't be as raw. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So with that being said, Dara, looking in hindsight, you know, you've lost your mom well over 20 years ago. If she was to see you now with the book that you've written based off of the letters and sage advice she provided, what would you think she would say to you? Oh, I know she would be so proud of me. Um, I know that with 100% certainty, I feel like there's been signs throughout the whole process when I was writing the book that I choose to believe are signs from her. And I feel like she knows about the book or she knows what I did. And that's I choose to kind of believe that. And it feels really good. That's amazing. And I just appreciate so much this story that you've shared with us today about, you know, taking your grief and turning it into lessons that impact so in, so many other mother-daughter relationships around the world. And so with that being said, where can our listeners find out more about your journey and where to find your books? So they can find me on my website, crazyperfectlife.com. Um, they can book me as a speaker there and get links to all the things. Um, my biggest following is on Facebook and that's at crazy perfect life. And I'm on Instagram at crazy perf life. So, um, those places are where I tend to hang out. Did the name crazy perfect life, uh, where did you come up with that? So I love that you asked me that. When I had decided I was going to quit my job and start my blog, I had a list of names, and my family was at the beach, and we literally like voted on it as a family. And nice. Yeah, I know. Um, like when I say I literally had no idea what I was doing, I literally had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but um, you know, I love the name so much because life is crazy, right? Like it's messy, and it's just completely like. We can't control a lot. And um, I mean, you know what I'm talking about when I say right. that. But yeah. at the same time, like it's life. Like it, we're alive and we're so blessed to be alive. And that in itself makes it perfect. And so that's kind of how I got Crazy Perfect Life. And you wouldn't change it for anything else in the world. You just, it is. Yeah, exactly. I'll take all the craziness and the messiness to be alive every day. Well, Dara, we so appreciate your message of hope and overcoming grief and loss with such 
joy and victory. And we hope, listeners, that you have taken some little tidbit away from this as something that'll give you hope in the midst of whatever struggles you're facing today. And so you can find Dara at the Facebook links that she shared with you as well as her website. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And Dara, do you have any last words for our listeners today? Last words. Um, I would say, you know, just the, make the most of every day of your life. Um, when my kids were little, they had a teacher and he would, their principal in the lower school where they went, he would always say, make it a great day or not. The choice is yours. And oh. I love that so much. So that's what I'll say to your listeners. Make it a great day or not. Make it a great life or not. The choice is yours. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Dara. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. The Podbreed Network is strictly for the small podcasts that are up and coming in the vast world of podcasting. Podbreed is made up of many diverse podcasts coming together to achieve the same goal of being the best damn podcast network on the planet. Find out more at podbreed.com. Well, that was so fantastic to have Dara on the show today. I loved, she was fantastic. I loved her. Yeah, I really loved hearing her story. And, you know, Chris, it reminded me of something I didn't mention when we were interviewing her. Oh, yeah, what's that? And it was when my grandmother was sick, my grandma Ray, uh, she had cancer and she was diagnosed with uh, stage four ovarian cancer. When we found out she had cancer, it was already at stage four. And so we had six months with her. And uh, towards the end, my you know, my parents wanted her to be comfortable. So they moved her and my grandpa in with us. And my mom and my sisters and I would spend weekends and evenings sitting with her and having her tell us stories. And my mom would write them down in this book. And then she had an audio recorder so that we could hear her voice telling us these stories of childhood. She bought this. It was like a journal that you can get at uh, like a Christian bookstore or something where it's like, Tell me about a time when you got lost when you were growing up. Or, Are you supposed to fill in the story? Yeah, you fill in the story. And so like you would ask them that prompt. And so we asked my grandma that prompt and we would hear these amazing stories of her childhood. But kind of like what Dara was saying, every one of them would have some kind of a meaning to it. And I was so thankful that my mom recorded her voice telling us those stories because I remember the first couple of years after we lost her because it was a really devastating loss for our family that we would go back and we would listen to those and listen to some of her stories when we were really missing her and read the book to read what the stories were that she told. And it was just such a neat thing to be left with as a legacy. And I just think that what a gift that Dara got. That's great. You know, I was thinking about that as you're saying that, that that's why I think you and everyone else should start a podcast because then you can record your audio of you telling these wonderful stories and and your voice gets recorded or it could be video too, youtube or whatever too and i think more than just photographs like i don't think i have any vocal or videos that i can think of of my grandparents at all yeah and think of it this way like we've had your parents and my parents on the show asking them about things like their christmases when they were growing up and interviewing your sister and a podcast really is like a living audiobook. It's just each chapter. You never know what you're going to get until you tune in that week. But for us, like it, it's a documentation of our relationship and, and telling our kids about like our adventures together. I know that Ezekiel and Mason love to listen back to past episodes, especially our road trip. Of course. To listen yeah. about everything that we learned and 
uh, what we experienced together. And I think it's just so special. Any way that you can like curate your history. And I do the same thing with pictures too. Like I'll go. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> I, I'll go through my Google Photos. I have a Google Photos tip of the day, folks. Google Photos. I think it's still free as far as I know, but they had this free thing where you can have a free platform, all of your photos from everything, your computer, iPad, tablet, phone, whatever. It all gets dumped into Google Photos, and Mm -hmm. from any single device, when you're logged into your Google account, you can look up all of your photos, all of them, as as far back as it'll carry you. Mine goes back to like... I think the early 2000s, you uh-huh. know, I've got photos in there from there. So you go, I scroll through that and I just look at old stuff. Like, look at that old photo from this or look at that time. And sometimes Google will send you like a little, hey, here, here's what happened nine years ago or uh-huh. 10 years ago or 20 years ago, <laughs> whatever it is. And I look back at those and I'm like, that's so cool. And the videos too, by the way, I love that too. Yeah. And so if you haven't been thinking about how to be intentional about saving memories for those that you love, not even like thinking in a morbid way, like you're going to pass away soon, but just trying to think of how are you preserving that history before you have to rush and get something at the end or leave your family with no memories. I think it's really important. I know my parents have kept uh, photo albums all while we've been growing up, and so they have them organized for us. Um, But I also had given my mom one of those journals a while back to fill out with like her stories. And I think anytime, um, whether it's like a book where you write down your devotions, your journals, anything like that, I think it's really important. And like, I know we got a family Bible and I like to write notes in the margins as I read through different Bible verses that have meaning. And so like those types of things, I think our children will look back on in the years to come when we're here or far away from them and use them to kind of help them anchor into what their values are. Amen, sister. I love it. That sounds great. Yeah. Fantastic. And and so thank you, everybody, for tuning in with us and listening to Dara's story and listening to us chat about Clover at the very beginning. We hope that you all are doing well and staying healthy as we all start to really emerge from the COVID cocoon. We just hope that you stay healthy, happy, and we will see you all back next week. And before you do that, you always can look up our website, which is www.chrisandchristineshow.com. And that's Chris and Christine with K's. And we'll see you guys next week. Remember this week that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret. So love the people who treat you right. Forget about the ones who don't and believe that everything happens for a reason. If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy. They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. And until next week, keep moving forward. <laughs>